And Father, I pray that as we open thy word, we once again might get a new understanding, Father, a deeper understanding of what you have given us by your grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll thank you for what you teach us now through your Holy Spirit. From your word, we ask in his precious name, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. If you'll take your Bibles, please, let's turn to the book of First Peter. First Peter, and we are continuing our series in the book of First Peter, this wonderful letter that Peter wrote to uh, the scattered Christians uh, that were scattered abroad, abroad and particularly uh, these were Jewish Christians. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> as you recall, uh, the title of the series, I titled it Alien Life. It just hit me because of basically verse 1 and then some of the things Peter's going to later uh, write about in his letter. But again, as you, you recall... Uh, Peter referred to his readers as aliens. Now, that's the translation in the New American Standard. It's also translated foreigners or strangers. But look again, just verse 1 of 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, again, or foreigners, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the, the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. And those, those two verses are what we studied as we opened up. It was an inter- introductory study here of the letter, but... Peter is, uh, is uh, rem, you know, reminds his readers that he knows that they're scattered everywhere. He knows they're under persecution. And uh, when, you know, it's one thing to be persecuted if you have friends and family around. But when you have persecuted, persecution has sent you running off into other parts of the world then you're all alone and persecution follows. Um, sometimes uh, an individual's faith can be shaken. And so Peter was concerned about their faith. And so he's going to encourage them in their suffering. <clears throat> and so we're going to pick it up at verse 3. And uh, we're going to look at 3, 4, and 5 tonight, okay? But uh, And let's just uh, read all of this, these, th- these uh, three verses together, and then we will begin to break it down. So Peter now goes on and says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. 
So now Peter wants to bring to their attention again what they have in Jesus Christ. Because as soon as uh, we are persecuted or uh, there's some kind of pressure trial from the enemy, uh, that, that is when sometimes we, we may have, begin to have doubts and we can even d- doubt, Lord, what, uh, what, what, is, what is happening to me? What's wrong with me? And even some uh, believers struggle with the idea that they are still saved. There's that fear. It's amazing to me how many uh, people I have ministered to and talked to over the years uh, who just uh, don't have uh, the assurance of their salvation. It's, It's just escaped them. They've tried. They've tried to take Scripture, but they still struggle with it. And we're going to look at that in just a moment, that particular subject, But he begins here by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, he's saying, Praise be to God, the word blessed, Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why why does he want praise to him? Who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, he here is presenting to them the truth about God's great grace and, and mercy. And what did God's mercy and grace do? It caused something to happen. It caused what he calls It caused us to be born again. Here, Peter uses that phrase, born again. Do you remember years back when born again was the phrase in evangelism and even in churches, the term born again? All of a sudden, how often do you hear that term? Uh, it, you hardly ever hear it spoken of being born again. I used to sing a song called Born Again. And somehow uh, the uh, evangelical uh, church has, has kind of pushed the, the term aside because it's become offensive to, to others and to the unsaved, to the world. And so, well... We, we don't want to talk about us being born again and someone else is not born again. Um, I don't know if you've ever had someone come to you and say, oh, you're one of those born again Christians? Uh, I've had that. And so pe- people right away will slap that on. Some people who know the term have heard the term, but they know that that born again phrase actually sets us uh, more uh, apart, and uh, it, it kind of defines us. But here's the thing I think is so important, that Peter uses it here to remind the church that is being persecuted 
of the new birth that they experienced. And I, I want you to see uh, again where Jesus confronted Nicodemus with this very statement. And so if you'll turn with me to John chapter 3. Let's go over to the Gospel of John chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 1. And in our men's Bible study, we've studied this uh, passage. But here we have the account where G- Jesus meets with a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus who wanted to meet Jesus at night so he wouldn't be seen by his fellow Pharisees. And he wanted to know more about this Jesus. And so verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Notice what he says. No one can do these things unless God is with him. No, he didn't say God is in him, but with him. And then verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And here is the first account of this term being used, and Jesus is the one that used it. He's the one that phrased it this way, to be born again. If you're not born again, which means born a second time, you won't get into the kingdom of God. Now, of course, uh, naturally speaking, if you're sitting there, you're Nicodemus, you're sitting there and you hear this, you tend to think, where, where is he going with this? What is this born again? And that's what confused Nicodemus, which it would confuse all of us if we, we were sitting there. Look at Nicodemus' response in verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? So there's his question. He's basically saying, uh, asking Jesus, it doesn't make sense. There's no human way. It's not possible to go back to your mother's womb. And he he says, I don't get it. I don't get it. How can this be? And then Jesus responds, verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so Jesus is beginning to to clarify what he's talking about. And now he makes it more clear to Nicodemus. He's saying, Nicodemus. There is a fleshly birth, 
But in God, there is also by his spirit, a spiritual birth. And this is the birth that everyone must experience if they are going to get to heaven. If they are going to be in the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Now, back in verse 5, you see Jesus said, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Excuse me. That verse has been taken by denominations over the centuries and used for infant baptism or just or any care sprinkling or some kind of baptism with water and therefore they are saying well to be born again uh you you know you're born of 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 some kind of baptism and then the spirit you'll be born of the spirit and so there was a lot of confusion people took this and had ran with it with false doctrine and twisted it but what he jesus is referring to here the first when he says unless one is born of water here jesus of course if you if you understand it it's pretty simple a baby is born in the mother's womb in water and so water is part of the birth cycle and the birth of a child and so this many uh, good bible teachers they believe this is what jesus is referring to this is the physical birth that was born in water and because after that after that verse six he says that which is born of flesh is flesh so he has to be talking about the physical birth of an individual and nicodemus was already talking about the physical birth how can there be a second physical birth and jesus is saying well unless one is born of course physically and spiritually you have to be born of the spirit then you can get into the kingdom of god and this of course is the work of the holy spirit that causes you and i to become a child of god the moment we are saved so when does the new birth the second birth take place the very moment of conversion the moment i place my faith and trust in jesus christ the holy spirit comes and indwells me and paul refers to it as the baptism of the holy spirit if you recall when paul wrote to the church he wrote to the church we were all baptized into one spirit so he used the word baptism there and he's talking about something that happened to every christian and that happens when you and i of course were born again we were spiritually uh born again when the lord jesus came into our hearts through the holy spirit and we were we were set apart and we were saved and transformed and I, I, love, I love this one phrase. Maybe you've heard it used before. But it's a very simple way to present the truth of this. If you're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. Think about that. If you're born once, you're going to die twice. 
If you're born twice, you're going to die once. Now, some people can say, well, that's confusing. What are, you, what are you talking about? But to be born once means physically born, but you haven't had the spiritual birth. If you're born once, a person is then going to die twice. How do they die twice? Well, there's the physical death, but then there's what is called the second death in Revelation. What is the second death? Hell, the lake of fire. It says right there that this is the second death. And so, therefore, a person not knowing Christ goes into eternity and experiences death, uh, as it were, but eternally, the, the feeling of dying in, in, in this terrible place called hell. But then, of course, to be born twice. by You're physically born into this world, but you have the second birth. You only die once, and that is the physical death that you and I uh, must experience should, should not the rapture occur. But I, I wanted to uh, show you here that this is what Peter's concerned about, reminding his people about. Now turn back to First Peter then, chapter 1, and he goes on. Peter says, you know... God, we we need to praise God because according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again, verse 3, to a living hope through what? Do you see it there? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter is putting the emphasis on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where he's focused. He's saying the reason uh, what, what is so exciting about being born again, we were born again for, for something to happen, that we would have a living hope, which means an eternal hope, which means we have a hope for all eternity. And what does that, what is that, that refer to? It refers to our living again forever and ever and the resurrection of our bodies, and the only way that you and I can can uh, ha, will have overcome death, and we will be resurrected unto life, eternal life, one day, when the Lord Jesus calls calls our name, He will be resurrected. It's because of Jesus' resurrection. It's because of His resurrection for uh, for you and I that He overcame death. He overcame hell. And I want you now, if you would, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because the second point here Peter is trying to make is the truth about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the same thing that the Apostle Paul is concerned about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, as he writes to the church. And look at verse 12 with me, if you would. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes, Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You see, there are people in the church who basically, they couldn't, they, they just didn't, 
grasp or believe that Jesus actually physically rose from the dead. That it could never have happened. He, he rose as just, he was just a spirit when he appeared to the disciples. And, and so, so they basically did away with the physical resurrection of Christ. Which means, if you do away with the physical resurrection of Christ, what does that say about any resurrection of you and I? That after we die, we just stay spirits. And there is no physical resurrection. And so Paul is concerned about the church and their understanding of the importance of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so is Peter in 1 Peter. And so he then goes on, verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith also in vain. By the way, think about it. If if Jesus had just died on the cross, and that was it, uh, where, where would Christianity have gone? Where would, how powerful would the witness of the disciples have been? What did they do when Jesus was crucified? Scattered, fearful, fearing for their lives. This is, this is our king, this is our Messiah. No, they weren't fit to carry the gospel out. But it was the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ the third day that when he appeared to his disciples, he said, go ahead, touch me, Thomas. Touch my feet, touch my hands, touch my side. I am alive, physically alive before you. I stand fully resurrected physically before you. And when they grasped the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he truly rose from the dead, what did that do to them? It transformed their hearts and minds so that they went out with boldness, without fear, and they went with confidence to preach a gospel that speaks of everlasting life. How can you talk about everlasting life in in the gospel if there was no such thing as being raised from the dead, if Jesus never rose from the dead? What a, we would be like any other, other religion. But what sets us apart, of course, from the rest of the religions of the world is we have a founder who is alive, whose grave is empty, the only one. And so Paul, Paul is concerned about people, the, the church understanding this. Don't, don't let people tell you that there was no resurrection of Jesus Christ And therefore, there's no resurrection of Christians either. Verse 15. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we witnessed against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, even Christ has, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, Here it is. Your faith is worthless. 
and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, those uh, believers who have died already, and they died in Christ, naming the name of Christ, they would have perished. And if we had hoped in Christ in this life only, only in that his life that he lived on earth and then was crucified, we are of all men to be most pitied. But no, there suddenly, then he goes on later, and the rest of this chapter, you should read it on your own, that, that Paul then makes it clear. But he says, Christ has been risen from the dead. And so, so Peter is trying to drive this home in 1 Peter. So let's go back to 1 Peter again, chapter 1. And again, why is he making such, uh, <clears throat> again, Peter is, is making such a point of it to bring out the importance of the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's because many of them ha- uh, were going to face death by being martyred for their faith. And so if, if they began to shrink in their, in their faith, not believing, well, am, am I really going to be raised from the dead? They would, they'll save their own skin. And they'll say, no, I, I disclaim Jesus because I'm, I'm, I want to live. And, and, and they don't have the assurance of, of, of being raised from the dead in the future, that, that everlasting life. And so he's trying to encourage them about the resurrection here. We come to verse 4. excuse me verse 4 he goes on this is this all came about for this reason verse 4 to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved for you in heaven Reserved in heaven for you. Here, Peter talks about inheritance. Kleronomian is the Greek word used here for inheritance. That is translated inheritance. And that word has been used in in the New Testament for uh, as a reference to Israel possessing the land when any of the writers would speak of Israel uh, and their promise to possess the land they did possess the land one day and they will possess it again Uh, but Israel the the land of Israel was an inheritance to God's people God gave them he called it an inheritance to them and so now Peter is reminding the believer, you and I, that we've been saved and we have been saved unto a living hope through Christ's resurrection, that we might obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. Now, we know what part of this inheritance is. <clears throat> Uh, in, a, in the spiritual realm. 
that what did you, you and I inherit when we were born again? Well, I inherited everlasting life, free gift, part of my inheritance. I inherited forgiveness of sin. I inherited the righteousness of Christ. I inherited the indwelling Christ, the indwelling spirit. And so we have all these things. I I have the power of the Holy Spirit that has been given to me to live through this life, to be able to handle anything that comes uh, against me in this life. And that is part of our inheritance. But he's also talking about a future inheritance in heaven. A future inheritance in heaven. And notice what he says. He says, this inheritance, it's in heaven, waiting for us, waiting for you and me. And what is this inheritance? It is imperishable. Uh, And it's also undefiled and will not fade away. Imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. He's describing what kind of inheritance this is. You know, when people would inherit something, right? If you inherited uh, something in the way of money or property, if you have a loved one that's passed on, then they they left you different things uh, as your inheritance, Um, you might be given a very nice home as an inheritance. But what happens to that home after time? Time goes on, it gets older and older and starts breaking apart. And all of a sudden, uh, the treasures of this earth begin to defile and and are basically uh, end up being just earthly, there's, nothing, there's no eternal value in them. And he's telling the church, he's saying, I want you to focus on your inheritance, dear Christian. Right now, there may be discouragement in your heart, in your mind tonight, through what, for whatever reason. And you're struggling. And maybe we're struggling through something that we can't even share with somebody else. And we get so burdened down... And we don't see light at the end of the tunnel. And it's so easy to just, when you're in some darkness, you're going through the deep waters and it's dark. It's very easy then to get so discouraged. And we tend to forget about what the Lord has prepared for us. He's got an inheritance. We have a home that is not going to fade away. And Jesus talked about it in John 14, right? In my Father's house are what? Many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am there, you may be also. There is our inheritance. It's being prepared right now for you and for me. So, so if I keep this wonderful truth in my mind and heart understanding that God is keeping a future inheritance for me that will not fade away and what is it? It's reserved in heaven for you. It's, it's reserved in heaven. Talk about a Fort Knox and a, uh, a different kind of Fort Knox Nobody can break into heaven 
and steal your, your inheritance at all. Have you ever met a family that has fought or no family that has fought over inheritance when the will came out? No, you never probably experienced that. But there have been those who have. And they have at, when, when it came to will time, everybody's at each other's throat because they, they, want, they want their portion. They want their big portion. But how wonderful to know that I don't have to worry about anything. It's, it's being reserved for me in heaven because I have been born again. And that would take us to Colossians chapter 3. Then we're going to wrap this up in, 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 with verse 5. But go to Colossians chapter 3, if you would with me. Verse 22. Now, here is an interesting passage, and, uh, <clears throat> it's, and it refers, Paul's referring to those believers who are slaves, okay? So as we know, in the culture back then, the, uh, there were m- m- those who had slaves. Slaves was part of the culture back then. And now... Here, of Paul, and later another occasion, he tells if, if 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 that is where you are, if that is what where God has allowed you to be placed as a slave, don't just try to be free, but let God take care of it. But in other words, there bloom where you're planted. Do you ever hear that term, bloom where you're planted? Well, this is what a slave is supposed to, do. but. We can take this, what Paul's going to say, and apply it to anybody in our life who has authority over us. Whether it be the, uh, it can be in a job and you have a boss, or it can be, uh, it can be the government, someone who has authority over us. Look what he says to the slaves. Slaves in all Things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Those who were servants and slaves were to serve their masters, he said, as, as Christians, not just to please the, men, the, the master and men. But to do it as a, to the Lord, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Verse 23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. There's the, there it is, our eternal inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. He's telling those who are slaves, and it should, this applies to all of us, whenever we are under someone's authority, we should do it with gladness, with our whole heart, and not do it begrudgingly or grumbling. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> wishing, wishing that uh, our, our circumstances would change but God has put us there for a reason. And what he wants us to do is do our service as if we are doing it for the Lord. And that's exactly who we are doing it for. 
how many of you remember having to do something that you didn't want to do? You didn't like the situation. You didn't like having to do what you had to do. But you did it with the Lord in mind. I know many of you have. And so what you did, you didn't do it to serve somebody else, but you did it even though you may not like it. You did it as if you were doing it for Jesus. And when we do that, when we, when we uh, do anything that we are asked to do in this life, we need to do it with a whole heart as if we are doing it solely for Jesus Christ alone. And there again, that falls under the, the title of motives. And if my motive is to honor Christ in whatever I do, then I know something. I know that one day my Lord Jesus Christ will reward me with the inheritance that he says I have. You will receive the reward of inheritance. And we will receive it from the Lord. So it's extremely important to grasp this truth. And so let's go back and conclude with verse 5. 1 Peter, now look at verse 5. He had just finished talking about obtaining an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. And he said at the end of verse 4, reserved in heaven for you. And then verse 5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Notice verse 5. He says, who are protected? Now, he's not talking here about the inheritance. He's not talking about what we are inherited, that the inheritance that is reserved. But the who refers to the you at the end of four. Verse four, you see that? Reserved in heaven for you, who... So it's talking about the you. So he's saying, you who are what? Protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last days. If you have a King James Version, it says, who are kept. Kept by the power of God. And here, dear friends, is one of the greatest verses to hold on to or to give someone who's struggling with eternal security. And they're not sure they're saved. They're not sure that, man, uh, I haven't been living. I, I just feel I'm unworthy. I just feel the Lord. And, and there are Christians who, who struggle with really believing that they're still saved or they, they struggle in the, fact, the idea that, that they may have lost their salvation somehow. This truth... Peter gives, puts to rest, or should put to rest any doubts a believer may have about whether or not they are eternally secure in Christ. He said, you are kept, protected. And by the word, uh, that uh, word there, protected, it also is translated the word shielded, shielded by the power of God. And that, in the Greek, is a military term. 
And it has the idea of a garrison inside a city protecting the city. You and I are protected, kept by the power of God the, through faith, the power of God. In other words, my salvation is not based on my works. My, self, my acceptance as a child of God, my being born into God's family spiritually, is not based on anything that I do from this day on. Yes, I'll fail the Lord. Yes, I will, I will sin. And yes, the Lord, if I don't confess it, the Lord, and I stay in sin, the Lord, as a loving Father, will discipline me. But when I confess my sin, I'm forgiven. But nothing changes the fact that I am his child. I am a child of God forever and ever and ever. And I am being kept not by my power, but what does he say? By the power of God. I'm being kept. You're being kept by the power of God. Your faith, by your faith, you're being kept by the power of God. So that no one, no one, as Jesus said, can snatch you out of my father's hand or my hand. That is the best security you and I could ever have. And so let's leave here tonight with these truths in our hearts and cling to them. And when the trouble comes and the darkness rises, may we realize once again that we have been, been born again by, through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a, a, a reservation in heaven. We have our, our inheritance in heaven reserved for us. But not only that, I'm reserved. I am reserved by God. I am preserved by God, by his power, so that he can never lose me. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for that eternal security. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for this wonderful letter that we can apply to our own hearts, Father. As Peter wrote it to the aliens, the Christians that were scattered abroad, Lord. Here we are, Lord, in America, Father. These truths that you've passed down through your living word have come to us. I pray that we might take the same encouragement, Lord, that those believers did from the promises Peter presented. And may we leave with the assurance that we are born again. We are your child forever and ever. Thank you for so great an inheritance that you've given to us through Jesus Christ. And it is in his precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.